This episode brought to us by Chris Black, Brent Friedman, we've already mentioned them, directed by David Strayton. We see Gralic, which is interesting. We find out about Chemosite, huh? And we find out that they're going to be okay with proceeding with testing in the weapon, assuming the shipment shows up properly, in just a few weeks. Huh. Now, we find the new facility, and it's like, hey, it's relatively undefended. If you remember, I already gave this big old speech about that and the tactical usages of that. And so they're naturally um, extremely paranoid about approaching this place that seems rather undefended. But that's because they assume this is a weapons manufacturing plant, which obviously it is not. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So they're like, okay, let's figure out what's going on here. So let's check this place out. Okay. Okay. Cool. Let's bomb it from orbit. Should take only a few seconds. Point of order. No one objects to that, including Archer. The only reason they don't do this is solely because of the fact that they think they could get more information here. In other words, sabotaging the factory might stall the, you know, the construction of the weapon, but they kind of want to know more about the weapon because they're kind of here to stop the weapons who they decide not to. Logical. Okay, I'm with it. This then leads to probably my favorite part of the episode, where they charge into Gralic's room. It's like, yeah, I'm from Earth. And his response is, and? <laughs> is that supposed to mean something to me? What the heck is Earth? I've never seen your species before. And he's so nonplussed. If you rewatch this episode especially, it's so clear from his perspective that he has no idea what's going on. This is actually something fiction pulls periodically. Real life has pulled this too, where one person assumes the other person is in on something and the other person has no idea. They're not even aware of the fact that the thing exists to begin with. So instead, he's just kind of like, don't play dumb with bleed. Play dumb with what? What are you talking about? <laughs> now, sometimes that's played for laughs. Here it's played pretty seriously. Archer kind of pushes pretty hard here. And uh, <laughs> he, t he ends up regretting it a little bit. He also finds out about a name. Now, we've actually seen Degra since the first episode of season three. Zindi. Uh, the Zindi, excuse me. But this is the first time they, that the characters, the main characters, have actually heard of this name, Degra. It's going to be important later. I'm going to cycle back to that. So they decide, do we destroy the complex or no? Now, believe it or not, I don't have much to say about this. It's a good episode. It's important to the arc. But it doesn't do much other than something important, which I want to talk about last, which is why I'm kind of saving my thoughts there. So they look at the complex like, do we do this? Do we destroy the complex? Archer is immediately like, I don't want this to hit the settlement. So if we destroy the complex, we need to spare the settlement. Duh. <laughs> to be perfectly blunt, I'm pretty sure even someone who was, say, with Section 31 would agree with that reasoning. We're not here for reckless slaughter. We're here to stop a manufactory. So we destroy the manufactory while no one's in it, and then shazam, we have no issues. Yay! Um, but that being stated, Gralic... Well, let's pause for a moment and think about this. Why does he not know about this weapon? Why is he unaware of all that's going on here? This is a surprisingly interesting insight into, for lack of a better word, politics in the Expanse and with the Zindi in general. These people are responsible for producing and processing chemocyte, and in large quantities. Uh, by the way, I wonder if this is why it's illegal later in Deep Space Nine. Anyways. 
So they, you'd think, would be at least aware of what the government's doing to some extent. But there's two possibilities here, and I kind of like both of them. Possibility number one, the council is operating in secrecy. What they are doing, they are not letting in to the greater whole of the Zindi species and the Zindi territories. But the second possibility feels more likely to me. Now, I don't, forgive me, I don't actually remember if they answer this question later, so I, they could have just, it could be A or B, I'm not sure. But the second possibility is that there is no Zindi nation. Not really. There's the Zindi Council and the forces and resources that they have access to and they control, and, but that is only one nation of Zindi amongst dozens, if not hundreds, throughout the expanse. So they, of course, have their resources and they interact with other Zindi, but they don't inform them of it for the same general reason that France doesn't tell Italy everything they're doing. I mean, why would they? It's a different nation, right? So under those circumstances, because the former is just the Galactic Empire, to put it simply. You know, we're, we're building the Death Star, but no, no, it's totally just a mining device. Sure. But the second possibility works better. We're building the Death Star, and we're not telling anybody about it, about it because why would we? Again, why would France inform Italy of this fact? Now, yes, I do understand that from a political perspective, there would be a value in informing your enemy that you're building a superweapon because it actually gives you a, a certain amount of oomph when it comes to negotiations. We actually did that in real life. Multiple countries did that in real life when it came to nukes, for example. But the point is, they're not obligated. And so the implication is there that there's not just one Zindi, that there's the council, and then there's the other groups. This is actually also interesting because something Season 3 has been doing has been pushing against the idea of a planet of hats, which is something I'm in favor of because, well, planet of hats has its place. I, I mean... I'm sick of it, to be as blunt and honest as I possibly can. And, well, it also doesn't make a lot of sense for most cultures, unless you have designed a culture in which being a race of hats actually makes sense. But in this case, having them be divisive groups of people, all of whom are not unified and therefore all of whom are not our enemy, it's a little more nuanced. And that's actually darker storytelling. Because... Imagine if Archer hadn't insisted on interrogating Gralic. Imagine if he hadn't been so angry. Because the only reason he did it was because he was pissed. He just wanted to righteously rant at this man. If he hadn't <laughs> done that, then he might not have learned the truth. And he might have attacked an innocent civilian that is effectively detached and unrelated to his conflict. Think about that. Instead... By fortune, he gets to know Gralic, and he's like, huh. This then gets him a little bit more information, too. You'll notice, and again, another value of long-term, you know, season-long arcs like this, you can reveal exposition bit by bit, rather than having to have a huge exposition dump at a certain point in an episode, which is what usually happens. We can trickle-feed a little bit, you know, like WandaVision. So, <laughs> I haven't seen WandaVision, I just know the methods they use. So the idea here of, well, this was our planet, and we had over a century of nearly unceasing war between basically everyone. It was just conflict. It was it was the Sengoku Jedi. <laughs> and everyone fought each other, and everyone fought each other, and everyone fought each other. And then the Rentilians and the Insectoids detonated some things beneath the crust, and I like to think they didn't know what they were doing. We can speculate. But that ended up destroying their planet, and the survivors ended up scattering throughout the expanse. So now we know what happened to their homeworld, and it wasn't even all that long ago. 
Now, <laughs> that's messed up. What's even more messed up is we find out that there was a sixth Zindi race, the Avians, or the Aviators, whatever they call them. Aviators would be more of a sunglasses thing, I think. I have to joke, because they, they went extinct. They were wiped out. That's horrible. Originally, they were actually supposed to be in the show, but they already had the CGI races with the insectoids and the aquatics, and they were like, yeah, let's, let's cut that there. Let's just do it there. So they decided to reference the avians as being the race that didn't make it off planet. Yeah. There's... What's really interesting here, though, is... They've tried so hard to avoid this Planet of Hats trope, and they keep fleshing out the Zindi because they have a whole season to work with them. And yet, we do still have one Planet of Hats, the Reptilians. I don't think it's really spoiling to say that everything we've seen, even so far, we're up to what, episode 7 or something like that at this point? Everything we've seen so far has very clearly been the Reptilians are the bad guys. Even the other Zindi think of the Reptilians as the bad guys. The only ones who might also equate to bad guys would be the insectoids. You notice it was the reptilians and insectoids who destroyed the planet. But what I mean by that is the reptilians are the ones who are assholes, for lack of a better way to put it. They're the ones who are like, oh, I'm a typical bad guy. I have no patience for anything, and I am unreasonable in all that I do. <laughs> and that's, they're portrayed as bad guys. I've talked about this before with Enterprise, no less. Because it's, it's a specific approach to presenting a character to make sure that the audience knows that they are the villains, right? Bad guys. Capital B, capital G. And that's what's being done with the reptilians. Even in this very episode, it's done like that. Now, one of the things that you can do to challenge the crew is to change the definition of victory. Now, I've talked about this all the way back since the Voyager stuff. We're really referencing Voyager a lot here. I guess it makes sense. Same teams, you know. Anyways. <clears throat> and so just defeating the enemy oftentimes isn't enough for the narrative purposes, for whatever it is the crew is actually after. In this case, that's the same thing. They, they could probably just destroy that reptilian ship that's in orbit and then just destroy the colony and then <clears throat> done. They have the power to do that. But that's not the goal. So that wouldn't be victory. So now they have to actually achieve victory, which in this case is not being detected. Now, interruption. They, this could be explained relatively easily. But if you remember, early on, the Zindi Council, which I'm just going to start calling that to, to indicate the separate nation. The Zindi Council were tracking the NX-01 as it was moving through the expanse, which means they were actively following them and watching them. As of this episode, they're no longer doing that. As of this episode, they have no idea where they are or what they're doing. They just know they're out there somewhere and they receive ports intermittently. And small spoilers for future episodes. The Enterprise maintaining its stealth, continuing to be undetected as it moves through Zindi space and gets closer to the Council territories, is going to be a huge plot point. And it's going to be a huge character point. And the whole thing is being portrayed as a major goal. Again, changing the definition of victory. They have to stay undetected. If they're detected, the whole gig is up, right? So, why the variance? <laughs> now, again, it's easy to headcanon away. This is only a one-loop thing. Maybe when they went into the cloaking field, they lost them. Or maybe they just didn't have any ships in the area. Maybe they just lost track of them during when the, the NX-01 was smashed or in the Pirates episode. I don't know. There's, po there's possibilities there. But the narrative never acknowledges this loss of them. It just kind of starts going forward with, well, moving on. This is made even further aggravating when the Reptilians have absolutely no problem finding the Enterprise 
when they need to recapture uh, Regine, if you remember that. So, huh? Again, I feel like this is honestly just a, a screw-up. I think someone made a mistake somewhere in crafting the overall narrative, and honestly, that's understandable. It is more difficult and complex than it sounds to tie in this many episodes, which are being filmed kind of sequentially but not really, which are being written mostly at the same time, which are being cast at the same time. There's so much that goes into television productions. It's not like they literally film an episode and then an episode and then an episode, although they sometimes do that. But there's so much that goes into pre-production and scripting and writing so that when they get to the filming stage, most of the episode's already done. Like, I've talked about this extensively as far as the construction of TV. So in doing... This is the biggest flaw of string continuity right here, is actually making the show. Because you have to plan everything out, and then you have to map everything out, and then you have to get everyone on the same page. Then you have to go and construct all the episodes, and you have to do them pretty much at the same time. At least close to the same time. You have to, at the very minimum, have a bundle done so you can start filming the first episode. And by that point, you need to make sure that the CGI crew, the props crew, the makeup department, the directors, the actors are all on board with the arcs that are being set up and to make sure that everyone knows where everything's going. It is relatively easy for one person, me, the person sitting here doing this, to keep track of all that continuity because all I have to do is have a couple of notes and I'm the one who's writing it so I know it. Keeping that across hundreds of people, across multiple departments, across multiple months, much more difficult, you see? Now, there are ways to do that, and people have actually developed more and more ways to do that over time. Uh, for example, to go back to WandaVision, they actually had this, uh, I, don't, I can't remember the term, a thing where they would track ideas and significant points, and it was just there as a visual reference that, that anybody, at any point, you know, any member of the crew or staff could go check and be like, okay, at this point it's supposed to be this, and it's this because of this. And there'd be little blurbs explaining specifics. It was basically a group notepad, for lack of a better way to put it. And that helped everyone to stay on the same page, because the one person set up the notepad, and now everyone can reference that, right? But of course, that has a couple decades of, you know, advancement, uh, just, just under two decades of advancement on Enterprise, so you can see how they were still kind of making this up as they went. Remember, just stringing together six episodes back during DS9's run of the Dominion attack was something that was so difficult for them to do that they barely managed it, and they were constantly screwing up different little details, and in fact had issues where they were producing things wrong because they weren't keeping us coordinated in the manner I just described. So, little dissertation on the construction of string continuity television, and we're moving on. So, how do you challenge the crew? Right, so, don't be seen. Cool. Uh, I like to think... Uh, hang on. So there's this little side story where they're like, let's test the guns. To my memory, that will never come up again. All it is is a small indication of the fact that the reptilians have bioorganic tech. Bioorganic? They have biotech, right? Not biotechnica. Different thing. And that is actually true in the Seekers as well that we see in this very episode. So we see them in the guns, we see them in the Seekers. Okay. And that's how you know they're the bad guys, because they have biotech. That sounds like a joke, but it's kind of not. <laughs> But anyways, so that plan, that, that whole B-plot goes absolutely nowhere. Although it is amusing to me that the gun has some kind of ID checking if you want to fire it. I'd make an animated series reference here, but I'm sure most of you wouldn't actually get it. But let's talk about the big point I wanted to talk about. Degra. Now, I already mentioned how the reptilians are portrayed as the bad guys, and I've shown my work on this multiple times. This episode is probably the er example of it so far. Where were you? 
Why did you do this? I am unreasonable and arguably stupid. I also am constantly suspicious, as if I suspect you of having turned against me, even though I have absolutely no reason to do so. Muahaha. You get the point. So it's just, it's whatever. Degra is more interesting. Now, if you've seen this show before, you know where they're going with him. But I'm not going to talk about that, because again, there are some people watching this for the first time with us, and as usual, I'm going to try to avoid unnecessary spoilers. Instead, what I find most interesting is the way they're portraying him as we are being introduced to him. We've seen him before, but each time he's just been kind of the person working on the weapon for the council. Here, we see him actually interacting with people for the first time, and what does he come across as? The villain. The villain. The, the big bad, to put it into such terminology. Now that makes sense. He's the designer of the weapon. So it makes sense that he is, in fact, our central antagonist. Do you see how he's being portrayed in such a light? Honestly, picture that this is a Bond film or a video game of, of, of similar, like, pseudo-serious series type, like a Metal Gear Solid or whatever. Picture it for a second. Picture the villain. More calm, more collected, more reasonable. And then picture their immediate bodyguard, who is all surly and angry. And, and you see it, right? Because the reptilian clearly comes across as the bad cop to Degra's good cop. But Degra keeps coming across as that kind of, yes. Today, we have discovered that humanity is going to be a ruthless species that is a threat to our very existence. You have assisted in all destruction of them, and for that you should be proud like, you can see the attitude of the almost mad scientist being presented in how he showcases and holds himself, can't you? Now, this, again, makes perfect sense. And it is very interesting that they portray him, what I believe to be very deliberately, in this manner. I'll leave that as is. I am curious, as always, of your thoughts. And I will see you next time.